Daniel. Chapter 7. As we've been going through Daniel 7, 8, and 9, up to, up, leading up to tonight, as we approach chapter 10, uh, I have been intentionally, and I've mentioned this a couple of times, each of these chapters talks about angelic beings. And I have intentionally uh, kind of postponed any comment about those who have kind of skipped over uh, those statements about angels in those chapters. Uh, knowing that chapter 10 was coming up, and chapter 10, uh, the entire chapter uh, has to do with angelic beings. In fact, in chapter 10, uh, all the way through chapter 11, verse 1, which really should be uh, the last uh, verse uh, in chapter 10, uh, depending on how your Bible might, might divide those verses, uh, that entire chapter is about angelic beings. So we're going to get into that uh, topic as we come to chapter 10. What I want to do tonight is I want to just briefly point out these statements in chapter 7, 8, and 9 that we skipped over. And then I want us to just spend our time talking about uh, the doctrine of angels uh, this evening. And then uh, next time, Lord willing, we'll look uh, more directly uh, at the text in chapter 10. So in chapter 7, just to remind you about this and point it out to you just very quickly, in, in verse 15, after Daniel has seen uh, this first vision of the four beasts, he says, As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. And then he's going to start in, uh, verse, in the following verses to uh, have some explanation, in particular verses 20 through, to, through 27, are going to be an, angel, an angelic explanation. These ones that he says that were standing there, it, we don't really have much explanation here in Daniel 7, but we know these are not other people that are going to explain the interpretation of this vision or, or seeing and understanding what Daniel is seeing and trying to understand. And so we know these are angelic beings. And over in chapter 8 in verse 13, Again, we have uh, the vision of the ram and the goats here in this chapter. And when we come down to verse 13, after Daniel sees that vision, we read these words. Verse 13, And then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to the one who spoke, For how long is the vision concerning the regular burnt offering and the transgression that makes desolate, and the giving over of the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the sanctuary shall be restored to its rightful state. When I, Daniel, had seen the vision, I sought to understand it. And behold, there stood before me one having the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli. And it, caught, and it called Gabriel, make this man understand the vision. And so he came near where I stood and when he came, I was frightened and fell on my face. And he said to me, Understand, O son of man, that the vision is for the time of the end. And when he had spoken to me, I fell into a deep sleep with my face to the ground. And he touched me and made me stand up. And he said, Behold, I will make known to you what shall be at the latter end of the indignation, for it refers to the appointed time of the end. And then starting uh, there, he's going to give explanation down through uh, the end 
of this chapter. But here we have very specifically we're told that it is the angel Gabriel that is uh, speaking here to Daniel in this vision and in connection with this vision. Then over in chapter 9, when we come to verse 20, we read this. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. And he made me understand, speaking with me. And then he's going to go on from there to the end of the chapter to explain this vision uh, further uh, to Daniel. And so uh, we see that probably in chapter 7, based on what we just read in chapter 9, where he speaks about the, who I saw in the first vision, uh, probably it's been Gabriel all three times speaking here to Daniel. And so I want to turn our attention to the subject of, of angels. And then next time when we come to chapter 10, we're going to have to see some very interesting and enlightening things about the world of angels and demons and how they interact with our world and history. And I hope that will be quite interesting to us. The Bible mentions angels about 300 times. And even though it mentions angels so many times, the Bible does not give us a precise or a full-bodied or a detailed explanation about angels. And so uh, we are going to have to be content uh, to uh, just accept what the Scriptures say about angels. We're going to have to resist the temptation for speculation. There are many, many traditions uh, about uh, angels, and imaginations often run wild when people uh, consider and think about the world of angels. We are not going to have all of our theological itches scratched uh, in the biblical data. There are many questions that we would like to ask that frankly uh, will not be answered about the nature and being of angels. And yet there are many things that we can learn from the scriptures about angels. And the only safe place for us and for our understanding is to carefully stay within the boundaries of the Word of God and not let our imaginations and our speculations about these beings run wild. Angels have, after all, been the object of fantastic speculations. Have you ever heard this question? How many angels can stand on the head of a pen? How many of you heard that? You should have heard that <laughs> if you have not. It's a, a famous saying. When we say it today, we, we say that as a caricature of people who like to indulge in useless squabbling about theological fine points. And that, that is the context in which we normally hear that statement said. How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? And yet in the Middle Ages, theologians spent serious time uh, studying such questions, that was one of the questions, because they were intrigued about this whole issue of angels. And prior to the uh, Reformation, uh, practically every imaginable question about angels was the subject of debate at one point or another. Let me read you uh, something that I saw just recently. It said that in medieval theology, even the excrements of angels were the subject of discussions for if there was angels' food, Psalm 78, 25, and if angels ate, Genesis 18, 8, 
then it was argued that we must consider the logical consequences of those things. And so that was the kind of thing that has happened in the past uh, by people who were seriously given thought to such matters. The Jews, of course, have an elaborate scheme of angelic structure and function. And if you uh, go uh, on the internet and, and study uh, some schemes that, uh, that are, are there in, uh, in Jewish tradition, there are many named angels. We only talk about Michael and Gabriel, but there are a whole uh, number of named angels in Jewish literature and in Jewish theology. And other religions talk about angels as well. And the New Age world uh, has been caught up in angelology. I have heard people say, I was in a Christian bookstore one time, and I heard two people talking, and I was just minding my own business. And I heard two people talking, and one of them was talking about that they had seen an angel sitting on top of a billboard when they were driving into the uh, shopping center uh, that day. I hated that I missed that because when I drove in, I didn't see an angel <laughs> sitting on top of the billboard. But, uh, but I've heard conversations like that in earnest where people made statements, and it's quite uh, surprising when you hear that kind of thing. And so while there's been an obsession with angels and demons in some Christian quarters, for the most part, serious reformed and evangelical writing on this subject has actually been very sparse in the last century. And one of the things we have seen in our world is, you know, not so many years ago, there was modern thinking and modernism, and that, that tended to cause people to have disinterest in and lose belief in angels because as modern scientific people, uh, we just don't believe in things like that. What has been interesting in very recent times is we're now in the postmodern world, and there has been a backlash against rationalism and materialism, and it has caused a lot of superstition and speculation to, again, be uh, very active concerning the spiritual world. And those kind of things are actually, in our day, on the rise. So what do we know about the angels on the basis of God's Word? Well, I want to consider just three headings uh, in the time we have this evening. They are their description their history, and then just lessons that we can learn uh, from our information that we have about angels. So, so first of all, a brief description of angels. Uh, in the Old Testament, the word angel is the word malak, it's M-A-L-A-K, and it means uh, basically just a messenger. And sometimes uh, that word is used to describe men, but most frequently it is referring to angels, as in the term, the angel of the Lord that we see uh, in the Old Testament. In uh, the New Testament, in Greek, it's, it's uh, angelos. And so when we say the city of Los Angeles in California, we're saying the city of the angels. And so that's where we get our English word, angels, is from the Greek word, which means the same thing, to be a messenger. And so these words are used to describe men occasionally, but for most often, when we see those terms, they are referring to angels. And when we, when we have angels defined by the word angel, then it is really a, a word that is telling us about their function. It is not telling us about their being. And a lot of our questions and curiosities are actually about the being and the nature of angels and what kind of creatures are they. If you would turn with me just a few verses, uh, Nehemiah 9, 6, 
I'll just show you a couple of examples of statements like this. Nehemiah 9, 6. We read this. You are the Lord, you alone. You have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, and the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them. And the host of heaven worship you. And here Nehemiah 9, 6 is telling us that, that God has created all the hosts of heaven and all the hosts of the earth and all of this physical world and that all of this are, are the, is the creative action of God. And so we know that angels are not eternal beings that have always existed, that they are in fact created beings. Psalm 148, just to give you another example from the Old Testament, Psalm 148, 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all you shining stars. Praise Him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded and they were created. And then, of course, we go over to the New Testament, just one verse. Uh, to confirm this from a New Testament perspective, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. Colossians 1, 16. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. So we know that the angelic beings were created by Christ, they were created for Him, and they are subordinate to Him, they obey Him, they carry out His will. Now, the Scriptures tell us that they are also spiritual beings. Hebrews 1.17 and 1.14 uh, are verses that refer to angels. And it says, verse 7, Hebrews 1, of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flaming fire. He makes his angels spirits, same word, and his ministers a flaming fire. Then down in verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Now, when, it, when the Scriptures tell us that these beings are spiritual beings, uh, the conclusion that we draw is that they do not have bodies as we think about bodies. Uh, Luke 24, 39, I'm just going to read this verse to, to remind you of it. Jesus was saying, See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And so Christ is telling us there that a being who's a spirit being does not have a physical body as Christ was showing his disciples that he did following his resurrection. He was proving to them that he was not just a spirit. They only have physical appearance when God is pleased to make them be visible to men. We see that in Genesis 18 when the angel of the Lord and two other men 
are, uh, are entertained by Abraham, and we know that they are, in fact, the, uh, the angels of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, and two angels. 2 Kings 6.17. Just give you a couple of examples real quick, and then we'll move on. 2 Kings 6.17. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes. That is the eyes of his, his servant. Open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So Elisha's servant was afraid that they were getting ready to be destroyed. Because there they were, the two of them, and they were surrounded by the, their enemies. And Elisha was telling him, don't, uh, don't be afraid because God has a whole army surrounding uh, this encampment. And so his eyes were open that he could see what was there that he had not seen uh, before. Um, just to mention, uh, just in a New Testament example, like in John 20, uh, the angels that are there at the tomb when... Uh, when Christ's disciples come there, the, the women come, and then his disciples, the, the angels that are there are visible to them. And so they're made to have physical appearance because God has been pleased to make these physical beings uh, that don't have bodies and bones like, like we do uh, to make them visible for our behalf. And so we ought to understand that these occasional visible manifestations are, of angels are an accommodation to the limitations of our human perception and not a lesson about the true or essential nature of angels. Now the scriptures tell us that angels are intelligent, thinking, rational, discerning beings. If you were to turn over to Ephesians 3.10. Ephesians 3.10. Paul is here talking about the mystery of the gospel that he preaches, and he makes this very interesting statement in verse 10. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Let's pause for a moment. Paul is saying that through the church and what happens in Christ's church and what Jesus is doing in his church, he is putting on display the wisdom of God. He is making it manifest so that we can see it. Now, the next words we would expect to be what? I mean, I think these are surprising, the next words that are in this verse, because I would think that it would be that it would be so that the world would see or whether the Christian people would see uh, the wisdom and wonder of Christ's church. But what he says in this verse is that God might make known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places his wisdom. And so one of the things that Jesus Christ is doing in this world as he builds his church, as he spreads it by his power and by his grace throughout this world, one of the things he is doing is he is putting on display a show for the benefits of the angels in heaven that they might see his wisdom and his glory in Christ's church. That is one of his purposes for the mystery of the gospel that Paul is talking about here in this chapter. 
Over in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, and we're going to talk about this uh, a little bit more in a few minutes, but let me just point it out to you in 1 Peter chapter 1. In verse 10 he says, Consider this salvation. The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicated, was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. And so he's saying here that the Old Testament prophets, when they would receive these prophetic words that were about Messiah, they, they, they couldn't really understand them fully. They were wrestling with these things and they saw and wanted to understand more. And then he says this, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things in which angels long to look. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But what I want to point out to you at this point is that they are intelligent, rational, and discerning uh, beings, and they have a desire to study and to understand Christ's church so that they might do exactly what Ephesians 3.10 uh, talks about, that they might actually see and discern the manifest wisdom of God in His church. 1 Corinthians 11.10 has a very interesting statement. This is one of the verses that Pastor Justin or I either one are going to pick out uh, as one of our favorite texts to preach on because it is difficult to understand in some ways this verse. 1 Corinthians 11.10 It is a much debated verse. Let me read it to you. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so this is a this is a uh, much debated verse in terms of how does it apply to us practically in our day. But it certainly makes this statement to us. We are to take seriously proper conduct and demeanor in our church services on account of the angels who are present here with us. It at least means that for sure, is that we should have proper conduct and demeanor in Christ's church because of the angels that are here present with us. And so Peter told us that they're here uh, eager to look into our salvation and what we're doing and what we're about. And here we are to, uh, because we know that angels are here, we're to have a certain amount of discernment and uh, demeanor in our conduct here. We know that the angels have great power. Psalm 103.20 says, Bless the Lord, you His angels, mighty in strength. 2 Thessalonians 1.7 When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with His mighty angels. They have moral judgment. We see in 2 Peter 2, and I'm going to kind of cut to the chase a little bit because I figured the clock is running and, and I want to try to get through this this evening. 2 Peter chapter 2 tells us in verse 4 that there were angels who sinned. And then in verse 10 and 11, there are other angels that do not revile. They have a sensibility uh, to do what is right and holy. In uh, the book of Jude, verse 6, I will turn over there just quickly and read that verse. Jude 6. 
It says, and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. So there we see that there were angels who sinned, who fell, who did not keep their proper place. And so we, we know that angels are moral beings. They are, they are uh, creatures that are subject to holiness or to sinning. And so we see in the scriptures that angels are seen speaking, desiring, rejoicing, worshiping, believing, and also lying and sinning. Uh, all of these kind of things that we see the angels doing. We know that the angels are great in number. Deuteronomy 33, 2. He came, from, he came with ten thousands of his holy ones. Jeremiah 33, 22. The host of heaven cannot be numbered. And the sands of the sea cannot, as the sands of the sea cannot be measured. Daniel 7:10, a thousand thousand serve him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. Hebrews 12:22 speaks of an innumerable, of innumerable angels in festal gathering. Luke 14, excuse me, Jude 14. The Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones. Revelation 5:11. The voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. And of course, one of the names that God takes to himself uh, is the Lord of hosts. The host being uh, this great number of angelic beings that are his and his creatures. They are spoken of as being legions and being myriads. Let me add that there is a fixed number of angels. They are not a race, but they are a company. They do not procreate. Matthew 22.30 tells us that, uh, that where Christ says that in the future we won't be like we are in this life, given in marriage in heaven, because we will be like the angels who, uh, who don't procreate and uh, they are like that from the beginning. And so all of the number of angels, whatever great number they, there is of angels, they were all created when God created those angelic beings. So the full number of angels were individually created beings. Now the full number of men come to be over the process of time through procreation. I would suggest that there is a fixed number of them as well because uh, this history is unfolding according to the decree of God, and there they are. Uh, but, but men are not created from the beginning of time the way the angels were. Humans are called the sons of men. We never read anything in the scriptures like the sons of angels. Now, one of the interesting things that we're going to see in Daniel chapter 10 is that, that the angelic world is structured and organized. Such a host would suggest various classes and ranks. Colossians 1.16, we read just a moment ago, but I'm going to turn back there and then, I'll, then over to Ephesians 1, those two verses. Colossians 1.16 again says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And then notice this, where the thrones or dominions, or rulers, or authorities, 
All things were created through Him and for Him. And so just as in this world, in the world of men, we have these things, we have thrones, we have authorities, we have levels of, of government, we have, we have our local town, and then our town is in a county, and our county is in a state, and our state is in a, is in a nation. And, and so just as there is structure in the world, and then there are international organizations, and just like the world of men is organized, and there's all kinds of levels of authority and function in the world, uh, we have exactly the same thing uh, in the uh, world of angels as well. Turn over to 2.15 here in Colossians, and I'll point out to you that when Paul is speaking about evil angels, he uses this same kind of language, verse 15. He, that is Christ, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by tri triumphing over them in him. And so in the world of evil angels, there are also rulers and authorities and levels uh, of, uh, of structure uh, in their being and in their world that they move in. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And so here again, we see our Lord Jesus Christ is elevated to the very highest place. But he is, he is, he is elevated to the highest place in a spiritual world that is marked by all kinds of rule and authority and power and dominions and levels and complexity of life. Uh, in the organization of that world. Then over in chapter 6, again speaking about uh, evil spirits, Paul says this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so there are rulers, there are authorities, there are cosmic powers, there are spiritual forces. There are levels. I would suggest to you that the world of heaven and the world of spirits is vastly greater than our physical world. And I suspect and I believe that it is a more sophisticated and complex and multi-structured world, even more so than the world that we know and that we live in. Anybody have any questions or comments about that? At all. Does that make sense? What we see in the scriptures there. Clear indication that there are all kinds of levels of authority uh, in the world of spirits. Now there are, what time is it? Is what? 43? That's not good. <laughs> all right, well let me just mention this and then we'll stop. Because I know we have our, our meeting we need to go to. So let me just mention these things real quickly and then we'll stop. Uh, there are different classes of, in, of angels mentioned in the scriptures. Now, we do not know if these classes, as some suppose, are different kinds of creatures or, uh, as, as I am inclined to think, uh, if they are uh, instead uh, 
descriptive of function and role and office and rank and gift and ability. That's what I believe that these distinctions are instead of different kinds of creatures. Now what we see uh, in the scriptures are we see cherubim. And the cherubs are not uh, little chubby-faced, childlike figures that are floating along on the clouds. We see those little, those little baby angels that were in, in, uh, in contemporary and popular art. Cherubs in the scriptures actually represent the power and majesty of the angelic host. In Genesis 3.24, they have a flaming sword as they guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. In Exodus 25.18 and following, we know that in all of those references to the Ark of the Covenant, they are cherub that have their arms, their wings stretched out to cover uh, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat there. They are cherub. In Ezekiel chapter 1, in verse 10, I'm not going to read it because we are out of time. And in verse 10, chapter 10, verse 14, and then a parallel passage in Revelation 4, verse 6 and 7, we see that these uh, cherub are described symbolically as having the power or the face of an ox or the power and majesty or face of a lion, depends on which passage you're looking at, or the speed or, or the face of an eagle or the intelligence or the face of a man. We see that in those passages in Ezekiel and in Revelation. The cherubim are the powerful ones. In Isaiah 6, we see seraphim, which the term there means noble ones. And they stand as servants ready for the swift execution of God's commands. In Daniel, we see two angels with proper names, Gabriel and Michael. We see Gabriel in chapter 8, verse 16. I'm not going to take the time to read them since we're out of time. And chapter 9, verses 20 and 21. We see Michael in 10, 13 and 10, 21. And then in chapter 12, verse 1. And of course, we're going to see these uh, two angels, of course, when we come to the New Testament uh, as well. And so I'm going to stop there because I know it's gotten to be uh, according to you. And we'll just pick up where we're stopping today. Uh, Lord willing, next Sunday evening we'll try to finish our uh, talk about angels. So, so just I'm going to turn it back over to you.